This is an ABC podcast. I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a green slide. Safe Liberal seats, two-term incumbents, independents. We need to go back to our values, our principles, look closely at what has happened. Our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis from RM Breakfast, joining you from Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Frank Kelly on the Gadigal land of the Aora Nation. And PK, the Queen is dead. Long live the King. It's all about the royals. We've basically got nothing much to talk about this week. Politics effectively suspended the week just gone and almost for another whole week. Though I do notice that on breakfast you've managed to talk about it all every day. So over to you. (laughs) Well, you know what, Fran? A lot of things actually are happening besides the pomp and the ceremony and despite the suspension of our parliament. So a couple of things that I think are worth noting. The National Cabinet met on Wednesday with leaders agreeing to extend pandemic leave payments for as long as there are mandatory isolation requirements in place, which is very logical and sensible. Uh, People will now be eligible for a maximum, though, of three payments every six months. That's to deal with fraudulent claims. There's some, some tightening up of rules, which I think probably is on balance reasonable. And also this week, we've had independents like Senator David Pocock making the point that the Queen's death is is not a valid excuse to delay, well, generally delay anything, but particularly this Federal Integrity Commission until next year. Now, that's a big, big key thing because that put pressure, the independents speaking out and, and not, you know, abiding by this idea that, you know, no politics. <laughs> Because, which is ridiculous, because life goes on and, and people continue to struggle, and the point of governments is also to address concerns and, and needs. Uh, but it put pressure on the Albanese government to speedily announced more sitting days would be scheduled before the budget to make up for the lost week. And in fact, Anthony Albanese made that clear. I think when he spoke to David Spears on Insiders, and I think that was an important thing to say. And you may remember that during the election campaign, the PM pledged to legislate the new body by the end of the year. Now, a little bit of nuance in this, but Anthony Albanese now says he only promised to introduce the legislation this year. Now the Prime Minister said there'd be no delay. But Fran, where do you see all this? Do you see the the impact here? Well, in terms of the the Integrity Commission, it's likely to be called the NAWC, the National Anti-Corruption Commission. The independents and the minor parties, you're right, that they've been pushing to not slow this down, in fact, to speed it up. Um, It is true that the Attorney-General, Mark Dreyfus, did say on a number of occasions in the run-up to the election that a Labor government look forward to getting this done this year. But the truth is, PK, it's never entirely in the hands of the government on the day, this kind of thing, because there is a little thing called the parliament. It's not a rubber stamp, particularly, you know, we've got a lot of balance of power players on the crossbenches in both houses and the Greens too. So they have a lot, you know, a fair bit to say in how how it gets passed and what ultimately gets passed and the, and the coalition too, of course, depending on what role they choose to play here. So, you know, first Labor needed to draft their bill that hadn't been done. They didn't have a bill. The only bill we had on the table was from the independent Helen Haynes. So that's now been done. There's been a lot of consulting between the Attorney General and the crossbenchers in the hope of trying to avoid much derailment. But it will and it always was going to go straight off to a committee. Even the makeup of that 
committee. It's a cross-party committee. Even that's contentious this time. And then we've got to see where things land, how much the Labor government is prepared to give on some elements of it, how much the crossbench and the other players are prepared to give. It all takes time. In my view, having seen a lot of these things happen, it was always going to be a close-run thing to get this done by the end of the year. But that you know, was indeed the, the hope and the promise. Um, but does that really matter? Because the fact of it is the this National Anti-Corruption Commission was never going to be actually up and running much before the middle of the year. There's a lot to do to get that sorted. Um, and that's the important thing here, I think, that if it passes in December or February, who cares, so long as it has real teeth and is up and running by the middle of next year, and that's not derailed, I think that's what counts. Oh, yeah, that that's the key thing, that it's when it starts, it's business. But if you have any delays at all, potentially, uh, at legislating the thing, you'd think that there might be flow-on consequences, you know, a domino effect in terms of when it can start. But anyway... Yeah, and that is in the government's hands. I mean, then they just got to keep pushing. They've got to know who they're going to, you know, try and appoint as a commissioner. They've just got to get all those nuts and bolts sorted so it can be up and running. Yes, and and you would think that given they know what a key issue that was, not only in their own election campaign, but in all of those independent seats that fell to independents that are known as teal seats, but really just to make it digestible and understandable for everyone, just those seats that fell from Liberals, they, they ran on this. And that has really helped um, establish... Uh, uh, you know, if you can call it a progressive government. So I think that it would be odd for them not to give this the the due diligence and um, emphasis it needs. Now, you asked me, you know, what else has been going on? And I think we have been, and and I've been telling people on air, really, really um, uh, aware on RM Breakfast that, that people want to hear about what's happening in their own country and they need scrutiny of all those other issues. And Full credit to some members of the government, including people like Bill Shorten, Murray Watt, others who have come on and talked about the important issues and not gone, oh, you know, I'm hiding. So there has been actually uh, some focus on some other issues this week. We know we're having a La Nina for the third year and that's Mm going to have a flooding impact. There are real things happening in our country. Another real thing happening in our country, which no doubt has an impact actually on the broader debate we're having at the moment about you know, starting to have at least in this morning period about the future of Australia and what that might look like is the uh, the voice to Parliament to be enshrined in the Constitution for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Now, look at this for timing. Like last week, the government announces this new working group. In fact, there'll be two uh, that will be working towards a date and the question and, and sort of nuts and bolts, like some eminent, excellent Aboriginal people, Marcia Langton, Noel Pearson and others, many others, really I mean, good and, you know, thinkers in this area. They were uh, due to meet on the Friday last week. Mm-hmm. You know, we know what happened on that Friday. It's a very sad day for many people. I know this. The the news that the Queen had died. So, but they were already on the planes, Fran. Like they, you know, some people travel from vast distances. Yes. This country's huge, right? I know people who are on the plane saying to me, "I'm on my way." I haven't been told. Like I'm going, and so they went. And and uh, the Prime Minister and good on him for doing this, still addressed them. He didn't ignore them. They had a meeting, but it was an informal meeting. They were told this can't be an official meeting. This is not your first meeting. And so they because used it as Because the Queen opportunity. had died because all those protocols kicked in straight yeah. away. And so and they accepted that. There's been no complaint. In fact, they used it to sort of talk about, my understanding is, you know, where do we go with all of this? And, and uh, it really 
exercised people's minds because this is a, there was, it was a big and momentous day. Mm. So yes, the business of government has continued quietly. I also think if you if you look at this, it's a, it's an, just before the budget, which is in October, important time for the government to be kind of resetting and thinking about its strategy. So the business of government quietly is continuing. Just the hyper-partisan bit is not. and Which a lot uh, of people will be thankful about, I'd imagine. Oh, I reckon big time. But at the same time, Fran, um, <laughs> we keep getting told by our politicians, including our Prime Minister, that this is, okay, not the time to discuss a republic. He has not entertained it and he's he's not wanting to talk about any of those themes. But Fran, that's not really how it works, is it? It hasn't really stopped anyone. No, it hasn't really. It's, it's put a few guardrails around it, I think. It stopped government engaging in it. And I think that's fair enough and that's appropriate. I mean, the, the whole Republican debate has been on ice since it was, uh, you know, it went down in that referendum in 1999. And the thinking and, and in fact, the saying has always been, you know, we won't move to a republic while Queen Elizabeth is alive. And now she's not alive. So there's many in Australia who would love to get going on that debate. But Anthony Albanese has been asked this well before this time. You know, he's a Republican. He's he's on the record as a Republican. God, he's even appointed an assistant minister for the Republic. Um, so it, it's not like he wasn't prepared to move on this issue at some point, but he has said that he wouldn't countenance a referendum on the Republic this term because he wouldn't countenance happening before the referendum on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. He said that was his priority. He's made clear that was a top priority for him. It was one of the one first thing he announced uh, on election night. And so, you know, he's sticking to that. He said it's not the time for, for government to be talking about a republic. I think fair enough. But other people, it's the first thing they thought of and it's the first thing they want to talk about. So, you know, I think this is an issue we can get into with our guests, don't you? I reckon absolutely. Let's do it. Malcolm Farr is a veteran press gallery political journalist. Welcome to the party room. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Malcolm, (laughs) Parliament and to a large extent politics has been suspended this week since the death of the Queen. Everything paused as the conventions and the protocols kicked in and the Prime Minister made it very clear he was happy to go along with the protocols. I as Prime Minister have uh, followed the procedures that have been in place for a lot longer than I've been in place as Prime Minister. I think there is something to be said uh, for a Prime Minister who follows tradition, who follows protocols and who follows order. So that's it. That was the Prime Ministerial pronouncement. He said it again and again since this week. And, you know, he's going to fly to London to visit the Queen, even though he's a well-known Republican. Anthony Albanese is really leaning into those protocols and the pomp and ceremony. Did he have much choice, do you think? I mean, some Republicans are making their disappointment clear. Would he care about that? Oh, look, I think he would, but he's he's also uh, made a realistic assessment of the politics of the situation. Now, I know we say uh, politics has been suspended. They haven't, (laughs) neither here nor in Britain. That that whole pageantry and uh, the obsequies that are that's going on in London is heavily uh, has a heavy political element. It's all about confirming the importance and authority of the monarch and reinforcing that uh, King Charles III is a legitimate, a valid uh, heir 
to the authority of his mother. That's terribly important political uh, action. All, all this, all this ceremony from you know from the 18th century is 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 more or less um, you know the, the the window dressing for a rather strong political push. The apparatus of the monarchy uh, is is brilliant at this sort of public relations, and Anthony Albanese has quite sensibly. Uh, fallen into line with it. He couldn't do anything else. Left-wing elbow would be scorned and derided if he tried to do anything else. Mm. Mm, that's a really interesting analysis. I just want you to explore that a bit more. Left-wing, or you know, from the left-wing faction, elbow couldn't do anything else. What were the risks if he did something else or if he you know, broke with any of the protocols? Well, it's, it, there's nothing particularly uh, dangerous about being an iconoclast, being a, a prime minister who bucks the rules and uh, and makes changes. But if you're going to do it in an area like this that has a huge social and community uh, content, you're going to have to come up with something uh, something of an alternative. You, you might be a treasurer who um, who rips up the, the, the standard policy on taxes, but you have to have another policy on taxes to replace it. Anthony Albanese doesn't have the uh, the counter policy to the monarchy because he knows that the, there's no room for a republic uh, debate at the moment. Uh, there are a lot of Australians who are grief-stricken over the loss of, of the Queen. Um, there are others who are interested in the advent of uh, King Charles. Um, and you see all sorts of comments about uh, how any discussion of um, uh, of a republic is, is poor form. You know, talking about your nation's uh, your nation's future is in bad taste, apparently, which I find rather strange. But um, m- most people, most Australians, I, I think, would uh, would agree that it is uh, inappropriate an inappropriate time. Yeah. Uh, but let's see what happens uh, later on when when, uh, when all the obsequies have finished and um, Prime Minister Albanese uh, comes back and uh, he might have, in, in a forward-thinking way, of course, not not immediately, a, a, another view on the Republic. Yeah. Um, left-wing elbow, though. Let's, let's get, keep calling him that all through the show. Um, <laughs> I mean, he has gone the whole hog. There are, I'm sure, a lot of Australians happy to have a, a public holiday, but the government was criticised by some business groups uh, and the AMA for immediately declaring this national public holiday. Um, you know, increased penalty rates, business not happy about, missed medical operations, the AMA not so happy about. He could have deviated from some of these conventions, couldn't he? He didn't have to have the public holiday now. He could have, for instance, kept Parliament sitting as the British Parliament sat for the condolence motions this week. They could have happened this week. So he could have tinkered around the edge, but he's just gone full throttle. This is what's written. This is what I'm going to do. Yes, I, I think so, and particularly because it would have been laid out very carefully to him as soon as he uh, got the job uh, that this is what, what will happen uh, when and if Her Majesty uh, uh, leaves this mortal coil. And uh, he, he, you know, he can't just tear that up. And it is strange to have a public holiday then. Uh, I, I mean, what, a, a week after she's been uh, entombed. Uh, but there are a lot of weird things going on. The, the members of the Victorian Parliament. Oh, the members of the Victorian Parliament um, uh, had to renew their oath of allegiance uh, uh, to the King, yeah. to King Charles. Now, I understand that in federal Parliament they won't have to do that because the original oath was a, a, of allegiance to Her Majesty and her heirs and successors. So, uh, Charlie is covered by that. But why, why do they have to have that oath? At all? What exactly is this allegiance 
uh, to the king all about. You know, if you, if you, you don't have allegiance to him, what are you going to do? You know, not open your fate or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if we don't have uh, allegiance to him, that's the, the question then becomes who do you have allegiance to because that's our constitutional system of government, right? That's the whole, that's exactly. the whole debate, isn't it, that we'll get to? That, that, that's, we'll come that's to that. exactly it. All right. <laughs> yeah, so let's come to it. I mean, it seems to me that the way that Anthony Albanese has behaved through this has been not just about left-wing Albo, but also about uh, Albo of no surprises or risks. Mm. Is he mm. Malcolm? Mm. And that's what I think, so I'm getting my analysis in here, which, you know, is sneaky. <laughs> is he is he trying to draw a distinction too from the former Prime Minister he replaced? Because, you know, he really only recently was talking about how he'd been trashing conventions by not, not publicising the extra five ministerial appointments he'd made. And here is... Albanese sticking to the letter to every protocol, to every convention, to, you know, the letter of the law. And saying things like, I think it's a good idea to hold to conventions. <laughs> yeah, Just in case you didn't get it. Yeah, I, look, I, I think you're right. And, and uh, you know, there are some who, uh, uh, and I proudly include myself among them, who, who have attacked Scott Morrison for dispensing with convention when it was uh, inconvenient to his vanity. Uh, and and we, we saw that happen a lot. And we saw uh, Anthony Albanese criticise that a lot, quite rightly, I would suggest. So he's not going to fall into the same trap now. Can you imagine one of the most, um, one of the highest profile conventions we got going, that is allegiance to the um, the British monarch. Uh, can you imagine him uh, ditching certain uh, elements of that of those conventions? Uh, he he simply wouldn't survive. Yeah. And we've seen other examples. The the idea that the stage three tax cuts uh, can't be dumped because he vowed during uh, during the election they wouldn't. Uh, that, that's another uh, in, uh, convention that was to stick to that the prime minister sticks by uh, what he says during an election campaign. Um, and the, the, there are other. Uh, smaller examples mm. of him um, being Captain Reliable, that uh, don't worry, he, he won't scare horses, uh, he will go straight and and, and pure line and um, not upset what we expect a Prime Minister to do. Mm. Yeah, we'll see where Captain Reliable ends up on the tax cuts, I reckon. But a new monarch mm. means a new face on our money and King Charles III is set to appear on our coins next year, but the rules don't stipulate the monarch on our paper notes. Now, the Queen is currently on the $5 note. The new government's still leaving its options open here. Anthony Albanese, let's have a listen, again making it clear that now is not the time. My view is that Queen Elizabeth's funeral is next Monday. It's, Queen Elizabeth's funeral is next Monday. My focus isn't on who is on the $5 note. Fair enough, I reckon. But Malcolm, okay. how long does sort of not now apply for? Is it not now when Parliament returns still? Is it not now next year? And would putting an Australian on the new $5 note be a useful and easy thing really for a Labor government to do to start signalling where they really stand on all this? After all, I mentioned earlier, Anthony Albanese does have an assistant minister for the Republic. Yeah, well, yes, it, it's a bit um, it, it's a bit coy of him to uh, to say that, uh, or were he to suggest that there will never be a debate on the republic. I, I think the uh, the folding money issue is a big opportunity for him, not one that he should rush into. Uh, and I, look, I, I've seen all sorts of um, suggestions that the notes should carry the figures of you know, Kath and Kim and Farlap, <laughs> whatever. Uh, uh, I, I, I think I think. They're suggested in jest. But imagine if there was uh, an Indigenous leader on the mm. notes. 
coming up to uh, coming up to a full fledged debate uh, on the voice and uh, the representation to Parliament. W- wouldn't you know? Only a, only a sneaky person would do that. But I think that'd be a, a pretty tempting idea. And it's not the first time that we've had uh, an Aboriginal Australian on our notes, but it is. Uh, it would send a signal, absolutely, leading up to the voice debate and then the conversation about, you know, the, the history of this country and the and the values. You send out signals about values by that choice. I just want to make another point that I'd like to get your thoughts on. I think the Prime Minister has been really, really solid on his answer on not conflating any Republic conversation with the voice to Parliament. And he was asked a particular question, we're recording this on Thursday morning, but by James Valentine on ABC Local Radio. And the question was about, well, why couldn't you deal? It was a hypothetical, you know, reasonable question, by the way, but the way he answered it was interesting. Why couldn't you deal with all the constitutional questions in one referendum? So Republic and the voice. And the Prime Minister was really clear. He was like, you don't conflate and we know the history of how hard any constitutional change is to get up. And we don't, basically, the message was we don't risk the Indigenous voice to Parliament. That is the most pressing concern. Malcolm, that's been really an important signal for him to send out, hasn't it? To bracket two of them, both on very sensitive uh, issues, uh, controversial issues even uh, uh, to some, uh, you could end up with, um, with having both of them rejected uh it 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 certainly would be a messy period of time you couldn't expect or run a clean campaign on either by clean i mean smooth and and carefully delineated i don't mean uh, um nasty and criminal uh it 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 is just that the two issues would overlap one way or another and there would be so much um the, the the anti forces uh, would be able to mount so much hostile action against both of them uh, that it would uh, wreck any chances of either getting up. Okay, so so Labor as a government's not going to run this, but it's not necessarily going to silence those Australians who want to republic and want to revive the republic debate and see this is the time. Who do you see is going to, to lead that movement and what what would need to happen to revive it as a cause after the failed 1999 referendum? I mean, we've got years to talk about this probably, but, you know, we'd be talking about an elected head of state, for instance. I mean, going back to uh, it's all very mixed up and there are strange things. You you had this solid argument, well, we don't have to worry about uh, having uh, the, the British monarch as our monarch because uh, the Governor-General is the um, is the Australian head of state. Now, these same people would say we can't have a republic uh, because uh, we would end up with politicians uh, nominating the head of state. Well, you can't have it both ways. Uh, you know, politicians nominate who the Governor-General would be uh, and you seem fine with that and you say the Governor-General mm. is the, the head of state. Look, it, th- this is a sign of the complexity. But uh, I, it, it meant, do you, you would remember over the last uh, 10 or so, 20 years, that it was... Um, uh, a, a nostrum that uh, when the Queen died and Charles yes. got the throne, Australia would uh, would be uh, ready to take up a republic because uh, she was such a such a strength. Uh, That's of, what we kept of, hearing. That would be so, the right so time. So important to Australians, uh, and um, that that might well be true down the track, but it's certainly not going to happen uh, over the next couple of years. I would suggest. Malcolm, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us in the party room. 
I'm so honoured to be here. I think this is the second time I've been on. I must uh, jot that down in my memoirs. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. okay. We'll, we'll, memoirs, we'll, we'll ramp up the visits. Um, thanks so much, Malcolm. <laughs> See ya. Thanks, Malcolm. Bye. Bye. We'll move to questions without notice. We'll give the call to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. Order. The bells are ringing and that means it's time for question time, even though Parliament's suspended. <laughs> not, not us, we don't suspend. <laughs> and this week's question comes from Nick from Sydney who writes, Hi Fran and Patricia, a long-time listener, first-time emailer. I have a question on MPs and how they hold themselves in public. With your comments around the midwinter ball on how frank MPs are in private settings and the openness we often see from members when they're sitting on election night TV panels, why do you think they're so reluctant to hold themselves like that more generally? Would the electorate view this negatively? It's very refreshing seeing MPs in this way, but the default position is too often uh, party lines and little emotion, asks Nick from Sydney. Nick, I couldn't agree with you more. I, and that's remember back in the old days when Q&A first started and some of the politicians would come on and they'd actually act like people and not like politicians. Um, and, you know, that was part of the reason why that show was so successful initially too, I think. Um, look, I, I think there's a couple of answers to that. And you, you referred to it in your last line there, the default position is too often party lines. They have party rooms. Those party rooms get together they form positions and they are part of that party structure. So they are bound to some extent by that. So that's part of the reason more generally. But I think it's got worse. Our politics, in my experience, I've been watching it for a few decades now, has never really been more divided, has never been more partisan. Um, the electorate, as we see on election night, is really split. You know, there's 30% vote for the for the coalition parties, roughly 33%, 35%, whatever it is, 33% for Labor, and then the rest is in the middle. So we are in a very divided polity at the moment. That's one thing. But I, I really think it was the, the arrival of 24-hour news that has really um, exaggerated this caution because, you know, a slip of the tongue when you're on a panel on a 24-hour news station or something, you know, within the hour it's kind of, it, it can be completely turbocharged, things can be derailed and the whole agenda for the government of a day can be derailed into some sort of mishap. So I think that's made people uber cautious. Um, I think it's gone too far. I think in the reign of Kevin Rudd, should we call it that, um, he was one of the first to, you know, get the lines sent out every morning bright and early, sometimes at five o'clock, I think it went, uh, the mythology went that the lines would go around and we had all those doorstops of politicians arriving in the morning and basically giving the same line. It was so boring. It was counterproductive. People turned off. People didn't trust and, and have trust in politicians, I think, since that era and the arrival of 24-hour news, I think they've roughly coincided, has really meant trust in politicians has taken a nosedive, I think, because of it. Yeah, I think I think it has. And that authenticity you see, it, you know, people being their fuller selves. Um, I remember with Julia Gillard, you, you'd recall this really well, <laughs> Fran. The real Julia. Yeah, she, she, she always had trouble really for people to see her full self, whatever that, you know, but but journalists knew she was actually a really um, thoughtful, likeable, you know, funny. all-rounder kind of person. Yeah, funny, all of that, um, self-deprecating, all of this. But it, it's very hard to, to do that. Can I say, uh, yes, they all have talking points, all of that, but there are some um, MPs I can think of who do uh, find ways to express as much as they can their own nuanced view within a broader position and uh, and can still 
you know, do that without sort of smashing up their party. There is ways that you can. Oh, I mean, and and that's what politicians have done forever. I mean, we didn't always talk along these same sort of talking points all the time. It's become exaggerated. I suppose that's what I was trying to say. Mm. Of course, you know, politicians are thoughtful people, many of them, intelligent people. They have opinions, they have views, they have, you know, and, and I think the ones that can manage that are the ones that do very well in politics by and large, but mm. it's um, it's just sort of become like a disease, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, some of them are very aware of it and they've told me, yeah, we know we need to think about this. We need to be making connections with the public. So, And I think you're seeing someone like the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, trying to break out from that. I think he's one of those who tries to, you know, give... Uh, a genuine answer to a question, um, but yes, yes, always I love the truth juice he drinks yeah. um, when he comes on breakfast. He should do that more often. <laughs> All right, keep sending your questions in because we love getting them. You can tweet using the hashtag the Party Room or email your questions to the Party Room at abc.net.au. And you can follow us, the Party Room, on the ABC Listen app, of course, so you never miss an episode. Now, we did a live um, Melbourne Writers' Festival uh, show together and somebody in the audience asked if Fran was going to quit the party room and I got really stressed even at the question, like, do they know something? Just want to say, even though Frankly starts pretty soon, Fran, you are continuing to do the party room and you just need to clarify this with anyone who might be wondering. No weasel words. I'm sticking with the party room, everybody, but I'm also doing Frankly, so I want you to tune into that and, in fact, I'm going to put a shout out here. I'd love you to come along to a live audience. If you're in Sydney on a Wednesday night from the week after next for the next eight weeks, we'd love you. I'd love to see you in the audience. So sign on. Okay. I'm going to invite myself into the audience now. Please. Um, <laughs> that's but what no you need. shouting out PK, okay? Oh, no. Okay. Um, now, next week is a public holiday, as you know, that the, in fact, as we've been talking about, the Prime Minister calling a public holiday for the the Queen's um, funeral. So as a result, we're not going to be recording the party room. So just one week off uh, and then we'll be back in your feeds the week after. Yeah. See you, PK. See you, Fran. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.